0: We are community. Hello and welcome to our Black Gay Diaspora podcast. I'm your host, Eric. Today, we have the return of Pierre Monerville, French photographer who's based in the United Kingdom. Pierre has returned to interview me. Pierre is an amazing photographer who centers on masculine imagery in his work. And he's also a fashion, can I call you mogul?
1: (laughs) No, you can call me a product designer that happens to design clothes
0: okay and i asked pierre to come on to interview me because he first of all was a great guest and has a great product in his photography and also in his fashion and he was someone who asked me a little bit about myself when i interviewed him so i thought he would be a good person to interview me so welcome Pierre.
1: (laughs) yeah thanks for the opportunity to interview you and return the favor so Let's get started. So can I have the basics? Full name, where you were born, where you live now?
0: My full name, I use that professionally now as Eric would be or Eric Taylor would be. I started to use my middle name more now just because I've embraced it. <laughs> when I was growing up, I didn't like my full name because it sounded so grown up. I don't know why I thought that, but yes, yeah, so I use my name, Eric Taylor Woodby. I am originally from Phoenix, Arizona, but I have not lived there since the early 90s. I moved to LA, like many people, to be a movie star. I'm actually, not a movie star. I wanted to be a working actor because that was a passion of mine that I finally opened up about when I went to college. I was in LA for more than 20 years, and then about two years ago, I decided to try my hand at living in Europe, specifically in Sweden. And I'll talk a little bit more about that later. But um, when I interviewed you last year, I think I was in the UK. I was going back and forth between the UK and Sweden. I was out of the US for two years, uh, recently back about three weeks now. So, yeah, reintroducing myself to America and how I feel about it at this point. So, yeah. Are you back living in America now? As a friend said, I am not back. I am visiting because I do want to return. I want to return to Europe in the spring.
1: Mm, All right, cool.
0: So what's it like to be visiting your homeland? (laughs) Interesting. I decided to come back to LA because this has been home for me for many years. Although my family, my immediate family is in Phoenix, I needed to come back here to recalibrate. And the reason why I'm back which has actually kind of worked out in a roundabout way, was that I was no longer able to stay in Sweden for the time that I wanted to. My visa was not approved, so I needed to come back to the U.S. But it's worked out because I'm able to reconnect with friends here, very, very close friends. And then probably next week or the week after, I'll be driving to Arizona to visit my family because they haven't seen me yet. So are you close to your family? (laughs) I remember you talking about family. I love my family dearly. I have a brother and two sisters. I'm the oldest. Uh, My parents are deceased for some time now. I am closest to one sister. We talk a lot. I'm definitely able to, for the most part, be myself. But I wouldn't say that it's like I've seen some families where they talk to each other every day or Like people say, my mother or my father or my brother or sister or my best friends. I wouldn't say that.
1: (laughs) Mm. Yeah. Okay. And so what attracted you to Sweden?
0: It was by chance. A friend of mine had gotten really involved in doing triathlons about seven, eight years ago, and he was going to be doing the Ironman in Denmark, in Copenhagen. And we had met up for lunch like we did every now and again in Hollywood, and he had just split up with his boyfriend. This was 2015 in late July. And so over lunch, he asked if I would join him because he just wanted someone there that knew him that could be kind of a support. For me as a person, something that this journey I've been on the last two years is helping me acknowledge more as I can be very regimented and controlled. And so when he asked me, I didn't say yes, I didn't say no. But in my mind, I was like, absolutely not, because I only had like, I think, maybe two and a half, three weeks to prepare. And so I said, I'll think about it. I'm not a religious person, but, you know, I have a spiritual life. I have a spiritual journey I've been on for some time. And this voice just said to me, well, why not? You know, I have the vacation time at work. I was working for this company I've been at for a long time. And so I did something I don't normally do. I called my boss on the weekend and I said, "Oh, I have this trip that I can go to to Denmark. I've never been there, and would you approve the time for me because I want to look for tickets right now?" And she said, "Sure." I was focused only on Denmark. I've been fortunate to travel internationally since 2008. And so, whenever I travel, I'm always looking for stuff to do and things of interest. And then, a woman that we worked for the same company, and just by chance, a couple of years before, I had moved on the same street as hers. And she's from Sweden. She's also Black. So, I was telling her, I was like, oh my God, I'm going to Denmark. I'm so excited. And she's like, well, you have to go to Sweden. You have to go to Stockholm. And so, I was like, sure, why not? I found a cheap flight, had no real knowledge of Sweden, of Stockholm. But when I arrived there, I just I I felt something, you know, when I've traveled, I always think, well, could I live here? And it was the first place I visited that I just felt I won't say at home, but I just felt most myself there. Mm. So I kept coming back and forth for the next few years, uh, hopefully not boring too many of my close family and friends because every time they talked to me I was like oh my god Sweden 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 and Stockholm and especially when I started to meet people and make friends in March of 2019 a very good friend of mine I was saying I do want to move there and he said well I found that when I want to make a decision that I truly believe in just make an active decision And so I bought a one-way ticket there for October. And then in August, I put a notice at my job and really started to tell people. And that's how I got to Sweden to initially look for work there in the field that I had been doing for a long time, graphic design. So um, how did the move go? It's been interesting because what I have planned has not happened. That has actually been good, I can say now, because I really was focused on plugging into at least in my professional life, a life that I had had before here in LA. I was working for an investment banking firm in the marketing department mainly. And I was focused on looking for that type of work. And I was completely okay with that. That hasn't happened. It didn't happen. And what that gave me permission to do is to ask myself, was I ever really doing what I felt called to do when I was working there? literally through a lot of tears and just self-reflection. It's like, no, I've found some freelance work, but what's come about as a result of that is I've rediscovered my creative self. You know, although I was doing graphic design, what I'm doing now with podcasts and a couple of the things that have reentered my life is realizing that anything creative has to come from the center of my chest, from the soul. And so, yeah, that's kind of where I'm at now. Still looking for work there because I would like to make Sweden first choice or Europe my home base because it feels like there I can be myself. Mm. And there's been some guilt about that. I messaged you the other day about that. I don't know how much of that is being American.
1: In terms of identity and all of that, how are you living the fact that you're an American abroad? You talked about the guilt.
0: Mm. Can you explain a bit more? I think maybe it's less about my nationality as an American as being Black. I've always been proud of being Black. I've never been ashamed of that. But I'm someone who comes from a small nuclear family. We moved around a lot. Mm -hmm. I struggled for many years with not everyone saying, but having people here and there saying that I don't sound a certain way or I don't act a certain way or I don't have certain inches. So therefore, I'm not representing or being authentically Mm. myself as a black person Mm. and so I think the guilt comes about because I worried and less so now that people would think that this was a step towards saying that I didn't want to be black and that's definitely not true Mm. and interviewing people like you I know we're everywhere.
1: Yeah I really resonate with that because You know, so for example, the way I experience blackness is nothing to do with me, is what other people see black people should be. I am me. I happen to be a black gay man. And I think blackness or whiteness or whatever, the way I understand those concepts is always about conforming to something else, to, you know, other people's expectations.
0: Yeah, thank you for that. Yeah, because I would completely agree. I don't experience Blackness in a negative way internally. It's responding to people's perceptions or assumptions around that. Yeah, I like that.
1: Yeah. And in Stockholm, have you got Black friends around?
0: I do, yes. Yeah. Uh, One friend in particular, she's been really amazing. Somebody that I'm glad that I have in my life. I try not to lead with my Black American experience because I know that's unique in its own way. But in knowing people like her, I understand that, and I know it in walking around in this body every day that, you know, I'm never going to not know I'm Black, especially being in Europe or the Western world. Somebody's going to remind me in some way who they believe they see. But in having friendships like with her, with Teresa, I'm really glad that I have that because. It helps me to feel more connected, to embrace my desire to live in Europe. I don't know if this is the same everywhere, but my perception of it in America is that non-Black people are quote-unquote white people. I don't think think about it in that, oh, I'm moving here, therefore I'm not white. They move everywhere and they're always white. I wonder why we don't think that way. Mm. Like I can live anywhere yeah. I want to as a human being. Exactly. The world is my oyster too.
1: You know, it's funny you say that, because uh, last summer, I went to an event with other black gay men. And I was talking to one of them. I was um, saying to him that I lived two years in Berlin. And the first thing he said, well, how did you get on? Because, you know, there are no black people there. And I said, so what? Why would I deprive myself from an experience? Because I believe there are no black people there, each to their own. I'm not judging anybody but it's such a shame to you know lose out on life experiences
0: yeah i agree i always think that when i'm traveling or when i'm at a museum or a nice restaurant or whatever and here in the states and and everywhere part of me understands because you know unfortunately sometimes there are situations where i'm aware that people look at me and they go why are you here For me, that's where I go back to my immediate family, my mother in particular, because she had this way about her where she would just say, as long as I have green, then I'm going to go wherever I'm going to go. And I try to tap into that whenever I am aware of that type of energy and say, as long as I feel safe physically and emotionally, for the most part, I'm not going to let that stop me from seeing and doing whatever is of interest to me.
1: Yeah, exactly. What would you say living abroad brought you or in what way
0: the experience changed you or is changing you owning myself owning myself that's the simple answer it's like i've been back here in the states for about 3 weeks and i've noticed i just don't care as much is not in the right phrase but that's kind of what it is i'm not so consumed as i was before i left two years ago about what people are thinking about me. And I just actually wrote this down. I was listening to a podcast. I've been kind of leaning in on celebrities, especially ones that have been famous for a long time. One of them, Tina Turner, she's one of my idols. And how they just say, you have to accept at some point, if you have a goal in life, if you have a passion, that most people may not understand it and that's okay. And I just wrote a quote that I heard in a podcast where the singer was saying, she realized at a certain point in her young life that she wasn't going to be ordinary, and that was okay. And that's not saying that I'm better than or I'm less than. It's just saying, for me, being back in the States and and to your question of what I feel I've learned so far is that this is me, this is Eric. I've lived this long. I hope to evolve and continue to grow, but at my core, it's never changed, so I need to accept it. Very nice. Would you think there is liberating to live abroad? By yes, I, That was my experience too. Yeah. Can I ask how has it been liberating for you? Cause I feel like I don't know how to answer that question fully at this point.
1: It's been liberating because I felt that there were fewer expectations. There are always expectations as a gay man, as a black man, as a black gay man, you know, but just because this is not my quote unquote normal environment I give myself the permission to explore what I want to do, how I want to behave, what I really like. Mm. Yeah, I've really noticed that, for example, you know, like you, you know, when you were talking about your, your name, I have a double barrel name. And when I was a child, I never liked it. And when I moved to the the UK, their tradition is to shorten names as much as possible. So they only use. The first part of my name, which is Pierre, I mean, now I'm used to it, but I really feel like I'm someone else because uh, only French people call me by my full name. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think subconsciously there is a part of me that maybe thinks that I'm someone else. I'm not speaking my mother tongue. It gives me license to explore what I want to be, who I want to be. So I don't know if I answered your question.
0: but No, you did. And something you said about it, exploring, I think, what I really want to do or what I feel called to do. uh, sounds religious. <laughs> and maybe, yeah, religion goes outside of what we think of as religious. Mm. That's a rephrasing of that, too. I feel a lot like what you just shared. You know, one of my first idols, and I wasn't out when I discovered him when I was about 14, was James Baldwin. I found out that he was Black, he was American, and he lived most of his life in France. I was like, oh my God, like, I don't have to limit myself to America if I find somewhere else that feels comfortable for me. And what you just shared, me slowly rereading his works lets me know now it's like, oh, I can do that too. And it's not too late because I struggled with that too. Part of my decision and doing what I'm doing now was I thought, oh, I'm too old. (laughs) I always say I don't lie, but I don't volunteer.
1: (laughs) (laughs) But you know, that's really male privilege. You know, we get away with so much, just in terms of age. And I think our generation, our 40s are not our parents' 40s. I really believe, you know, 40s for us is my parents' 30s.
0: Yeah. I guess I should confess I'm actually older than you. I am today, I'm a couple of weeks away from 52. (laughs) I felt like when I was in my late 40s, when I first came to Sweden at 45, that it was too late. I wasn't consciously plugged into believing that my life was set in stone. But I guess I was because, you know, I had been at this company for more than 20 years. I was making really good money. I had a life on the outside that looked good for L.A. You know, I had a cute car. I had a cute apartment in an area of town that I always wanted to live in. I wasn't unhappy in my personal life with my core group of friends. But um, professionally, I just I, I wasn't fulfilled and I didn't know it until only a year into being in Europe wasn't that I wasn't having moments of joy in my professional life, but I wasn't really passionate about anything. Mm. And then I had to acknowledge, too, that I had been working for a firm that there were some things that were not ideal that I don't want to ignore or pretend like they didn't exist, dysfunctional parts of it.
1: Mm. And do you remember a moment when you thought, right, that's it, I'm leaving? Was there a moment or it was gradual? you know, the life which from outside looked, you know, like you had everything to be happy.
0: Mm. Uh, As far as the job, I wasn't conscious of that until after I left. (laughs) Mm. My reason for leaving wasn't because of the job. Yeah, there was a process. I first came to Sweden in 2015, August. And then every year after that, I would come to visit. That was part of the process. I remember one of the last times I left, I felt sad. And I was like, this is a weird Fucking feeling (laughs) to be sad about leaving a country that's not my home country, and then I finally started to admit that to people. Like, I feel sad when I leave there. What is that? And that's when people who are in my life and who were at that time said, "Well, maybe you need to sit with yourself and be honest about what does that mean for me." And so the process included, like, "Oh, yeah, I'm leaving this job that I'm making good money." What will people think? Are they going to think this is a midlife crisis? (laughs) What's next? A red Porsche and a boyfriend that's half my age. It was all mainly connected to what will they think, whoever they are. Mm -hmm. And I had to get to a point when I decided to do it to say, it doesn't matter. And that's still an ongoing process. So now,
1: what about the podcast?
0: (laughs) That was not planned at all. I discovered podcasts in 2017, listening to them. A coworker, gay guy, suggested I listen to RuPaul's podcast, What's the Tea? And that kind of was my introduction. And I remember the very first episode I listened to, I usually drive for the holidays from LA to Phoenix, which is about five and a half, six hour drive. And that episode was a really good one for me to be introduced to not only podcasting to, but a little bit more to who he was saying he is outside of what we know him to be. And he talked about like being at an event where there were a lot of Black celebrities and he felt like he was being shunned. So I'd have to listen to it again, but from what I remember, he senses some of it could be because he's gay, but he opened up that like, this was a familiar feeling that he had gotten from Black people Um, who treated him that way, who were saying, oh, you're not quote unquote Black enough. And for me to be introduced into podcasting through that episode was really good because I was still very heavily struggling with that, even though I wasn't saying that. So yeah, podcasting and listening to, never thought it was something I would be interested in doing. Almost two years ago, a friend of mine here, Jenny, uh, shout out to her. She called me when I was in Sweden and she had an idea that we do a podcast that we're still doing called Wallflowers in Bloom, about introversion, about being introverts. At first, when she introduced the idea to me, I was like, ooh, I don't know if I want to be public like that about my life. But that has been an amazing journey because, one, I've discovered a bit more what that means. I thought introversion was shy, which I can be at times. And I have understand for myself that it more to do that I'm not, I wouldn't say like a type A personality. But yeah, that was my introduction into podcasting. We started doing that, growing in that community, and that was giving me confidence to be more myself. And then last year, around this time, at this point, I'd been out of the U.S. for a little over a year, and I was still like, I, I want to know more Black people, specifically Black LGBT people. And this idea came to me in the middle of the night, literally. And I spent the next few hours just writing all this stuff that just was coming out organically. But it was scary for me because although I was doing the podcast with Jenny, at the time I was like, I don't know if I'm a dynamic enough personality to host something for myself. But then I mentioned it to a friend in Sweden, and he said, it's a really good idea. I think you should do it. And so that's how it started. And I'll just say this quickly. The very first guest was somebody that I had on my list who I knew about. He's a British actor, now director, who I had discovered some time ago, but he was not going to be the first person I chose. But somehow he ended up at the top of my list. And that was another moment where the inner dialogue, positive dialogue, said, well, just reach out to him. If he says yes, fine. If he says no, and I did. And within an hour, he said yes. And that freaked me out because I was like, this man doesn't know who I am. <laughs> but that was what I needed to say, just do it. Just do it. Mm. I love it. One of the things that I've never vocalized is I love Black history. I love us uh, so much. And I love the fact that I'm discovering who we are all over the world.
1: You know, I'm really grateful for your podcast because um, it goes against the narrative that we are... a uh- quote-unquote, conquered race. And, you know, all we do is menial jobs. We don't do anything worth talking about. So, yeah, thank you for showing another version of, yeah, just showing Black people the way we are.
0: That's always been important to me. You know, when I moved to L.A. to be an actor, we do have some really great stories out there, some great images. We have some that are still questionable, I believe. And I think we're still very narrow in our focus of who we are, that we're so much bigger than what's been put out there so far. And this particular platform, I love it because I didn't expect to meet, you know, a French photographer who's living his best life in the UK and the other guests that I have while I'm interviewing people and trying to develop my lane in, in this world. I'm also like awed and wild by it too, and educated. And What about the graphic design? The graphic design is something I'm open to doing still for professional reasons. If it's my passion, if I had to rate my passions, I would say it's underneath what I'm doing with our Black Gay Diaspora podcast. It's a tool to push this platform forward because I feel this particular platform is connected to, for me personally, a bigger purpose because it's about promoting diverse and positive Black imagery. You know, I do all the editing, the sound, the recording, anything connected to social media, which I love at this point, And I feel is important for me so that I can build my belief in it.
1: And what's your plan for 2022? Do you have any expectations? Is there anything
0: you would like to achieve this year? I try not to live in expectations, but more about focus. My focus is to believe. Two words I always use, I've used for a while, is faith and belief. And so to continue to strengthen those in connection to my professional life, to this platform, to podcasting, to find ways to help it to grow, to go beyond where it is now. It is something I'd love to do, but currently it's a passion project, but I am aware that there needs to be some realism at some point to find ways to uh, create revenue to promote the podcast, to build it, to solidify it, but also so that I can eat too. <laughs> and how that's fanning out into my personal life because part of this journey, I wanted to make sure I didn't ignore that I am a social person. I am a person that is uh, open to exploring that part of my life in a healthy way.
1: <laughs> that sounds like a, you know a good year. Is there anything... Outside of podcasting or
0: graphic design that you would like to explore? More travel. When I discovered that I could travel by myself, all I needed was a passport. <laughs> I love traveling. When I decided to leave, again, I, I was hopeful that I would get full-time employment right away, and it hasn't happened. You know, I was calling myself a digital nomad, not really knowing what that meant. But now I understand more what that means. And I do want a home base hopefully in Stockholm and Sweden. But I want to continue to travel because I love traveling. I want to go to West Africa because, again, I'm a huge history buff. And for me, at least from a Black American's perspective, I know a lot of the people that were brought over during the transatlantic slave trade came from that region, that part of Africa. I want to go and visit there. I uh, interviewed a guest recently from Barbados who's looking into expanding a safe travel for us, uh, the LGBTQ plus community. So I definitely want to travel more in South America, Brazil, Berlin. I loved Berlin. I only went once. I went last year for my birthday. It's it's an amazing place. Yeah, electric. Oh my God, it
1: was sexy. (laughs) It's very different from the rest of the European capitals. Mm-hmm. Well, probably because it's been so badly destroyed. Most of the monuments are stuff that we can relate to because I saw when the wall came down. Mm-hmm. It's amazing, you know, to walk around and see exactly where the wall used to be. I used to live in the former East Berlin. And it was obvious what was East Berlin, what was West Berlin. So, uh, yeah, know, it's, it's a really interesting place. But anyway, enough about me. Where else would you like to travel
0: to? Well, speaking of Berlin, I will say that's in my top five. Stockholm's number one, but I'm open to work there too. Mm. Although I've only been there once, I'm definitely open to work there. But um, where else would I like to travel to? Scotland, more of the UK, Brighton, where you're at. Because every time I mention to someone, it's like, oh, you have to go to Brighton. When I interviewed you last summer, I was in southern England which wasn't too far from you, but I just unable to make it over there.
1: Well, there is a place for you in Brighton.
0: Oh, (laughs) thank you. (laughs) Yeah, because you were the first person to say it's the San Francisco of the UK. You know, and when you were talking about Sweden, that's exactly how
1: I felt about Brighton, right away. Yeah, within an hour, I thought, oh, I could live
0: here. I look forward to it then,
1: yeah. I'm surprised, you know, after 15 years, you know, I still walk around and think, Wow, I'm so happy here. I'm still not used to that, and I'm really grateful, you know, not to take it for granted. I'm still amazed by the architecture.
0: I'm still amazed by, you know, hearing the seagulls. I was going to say about LA because uh, I've had people ask me like, "How is it being back?" and it feels like Phoenix to me now, where I'm grateful for the people I see, but I don't feel connected to the city anymore. And one of the reasons why I love San Francisco and New York is because they're cities that it's easy to move around as a pedestrian. And being back here in L.A., it's not. It's not designed, as same as Phoenix, these really spread out cities. I was going to say, yeah. And unfortunately, I notice very distinct class differences, which I know are everywhere, but I notice now that I've been gone, especially when I'm on public transportation, it's like people treat it as a better than, less than. And I'm trying not to plug into that again. And what about traveling outside of Europe or Africa? Brazil, from a historical standpoint, because I know most of the Black people that were brought out of Africa went to Brazil. I think because America has got the media machines that pushes it out there, people think that most of them came here and they didn't. Most went to Brazil and the Caribbean. So uh, yeah. So I want to see Brazil. I've heard some great things about it. I want to go to Argentina, different countries in South America from a historical standpoint, because I discovered years ago that quite a few Black communities are in South America and different countries. And I would like to see those and the language. I love Spanish. I learned it. I'm not 100% fluent, but I understand it somewhat okay through school and just my friends here. So countries in South America, Mexico, Latin America, even here in the States. I am American, but I haven't seen the whole country. Interesting enough, I feel more safe as a Black person traveling outside of the U.S. Well, no wonder. <laughs> you know?
1: <laughs> Especially here in the South, so more in, in Texas. Often I, I would think, oh my God, you know, I could be shot.
0: And it's not just in the South. When you get outside of the major cities in all the states, including California, you go through these little tiny towns where you can feel the eyes on you. And racism is everywhere. And I tell people that. But as me as an American, I feel safer traveling outside of my own country, which, you know, is an interesting commentary.
1: Is there any other creative avenue you'd like to explore?
0: Well, I would like the podcast to grow into something where it's on camera connected to imagery. I feel that, you know, listening to us is great, but to see us in all our beautifulness is where I would like it to progress to. And again, this is not negating what we see already with who's out there, but, you know, seeing people like you, your photography, other people I've interviewed, I I want that to be shown more it's shown specifically in the black community and it's shown specifically in the LGBT community, but our community collectively, we don't see enough of that.
1: Yeah, that's very true. You know, another thing I experience sometimes is as a black people, so many of us, you know, just want to do something for black people. I'm not criticizing, but I'm just saying, well, what I would like is to build bridges rather than, you know, just keep it for ourselves.
0: Mm-hmm. My ambition is to really talk to everyone. I've had people, acquaintances, who have said, oh, I didn't know there were Black people in France. And it's like, really? <laughs> but I know, at least coming from an American perspective, I always say America, when I first started to travel outside of the U.S., is like a big island. We know very little about the world outside of this country. This is my opinion. Because even me, you know, people are like, oh my God, yeah, I think you mentioned it earlier. It's like, you went to Germany? You went to where? As a Black person? Weren't you nervous? As long as I'm paying attention to stuff around me, I can move around. And a lot of the times,
1: in my experience anyway, all it takes is communication. A lot of the times people realize, oh my God, we're actually very similar.
0: We all want our basic needs met and a little bit more. And majority of us, we want to be happy.
1: I'm not trying to say that we need to teach people uh, just by being who we are. I always try to, you know, watch myself. Don't expect every white person to be racist. I like to give people a chance to show me that, you know, they treat me like anyone else.
0: And I try to be the same way. It's one of the reasons why I like to be aware of the world, but not to, like with the news, especially in the last couple of years, you know, we've made it public again about how insidious racism is and how much more prevalent it is than I think most people realize in our day-to-day lives but I don't want to focus on that to the point where it weighs me down yeah yeah because I got into that headspace when I was in England the first time I didn't really go out as much as I could have especially when I was aware that I was in neighborhoods or communities where there weren't many black people where I was aware oh I haven't seen a black person today and it crippled me I'll be honest. One, I had to open up about it. I reached out to a friend of mine, Naomi. Uh, Shout out to Naomi, who's a world traveler, Black American, who's amazing. I always shout her out because she's somebody that I've discovered through podcasting. And um, I I reached out to her and she said a lot of what you said earlier is just, you know, don't let that get in the way of being yourself. And I needed to hear that. I needed to open up about it and to hear it. I don't want to do that again. Mm. Have you experienced The note between Black men. In Europe or in America? In Europe. It usually depends on where I'm at. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it depends on where I'm at. I try to make eye contact, especially when uh, we're in spaces where I feel that we need, we may never talk to each other, but we need to look at you and look at me and say, we're at this museum. You belong here, I belong here. I see you. I don't
1: see it with... The younger generation. I see that in, you know, maybe like 30, 35 plus, really. I haven't experienced that because I don't really work in a big corporation, but I would expect that, you know, if it was a big corporation and you see two black people, Mm -hmm. then they will acknowledge each other. But, you know, something happened and I was astonished by that. I was in Shanghai. I left the hotel to go to the supermarket. And so, you know, I was. Minding my own business, listening to my music, you know, and then this white man in a business suit, you know, mm-hmm. when we were more or less at the same level, he nodded at me and I was like, oh my God, that would never happen in the West, ever. If he was in London or Paris or whatever, he would never even look at me oh, and I wouldn't look at him either. It's just because, you know, we were two Westerners. So, you know, that's interesting.
0: I could see that, but I never thought about that. For me, I usually think only Black people do that if they live in these cultures or they're the ethnic minority. But to hear that somebody who's European, but they see you like, oh, he's different. I'm different. What I noticed, similar to that experience you shared about in Shanghai, is meeting white Americans in Europe and how I've developed a bond with them that I wonder would exist if we were both in the States. Especially when I'm aware of Social economic status in us connecting, it's like Americans across the board, we're so much more alike than we realize.
1: Well, that's the whole expat thing, isn't it? I just find that so fascinating. You know, that the same thing can be either called a migrant or an expat,
0: it's exactly the same. That is the question, and I always have that. Yeah, or my perception before I speak, this is in Sweden, I notice more. I sense a certain energy sometimes, but when I spoke, the energy changed. Like he went from an immigrant to, oh, he's an expat. Yeah, I think it's important to be aware of how we are perceived. Like when I had to go to immigration, uh, this was last year when I was extending my stay and I was aware of my body language when I was standing in line because I was standing in a way that was saying, oh, I'm different from you guys because I'm an expat, and I had to check myself. I said, ooh, Eric, uh -uh. (laughs) uh-uh, don't do that. Mm, That reminds me of,
1: I went to the museum in Boston. Mm -hmm. I was the only black person I saw who wasn't working in the museum. And I remember there was this older white guy who was, you know, sort of staring at me more than the artworks. And I remember thinking, love, don't roll up on me, as you guys say, because I've paid full fare. So drop the attitude. <laughs> <laughs> I can be here if I want to.
0: Quick question for you. Being in the States as a Black person, did you see an energy shift or feel an energy shift when people heard your accent and when they were aware that you weren't American?
1: Yeah. Oh, yeah. I don't look French, obviously. I really believe there is a, some, a fascination with the Black men. In general, mm. uh, being French is usually is seen as something positive. What I'm trying to say is, it's never hurt me to be
0: a, a black French man, especially in the states. Yeah. Kind of ties into because um, I've been asked, like, how was it for me attempting to date in Europe as a black gay man? I don't know if this is a thought process if you're born and raised in Europe, but for me. Coming from the States, at least, if somebody who is not Black, I was always like, I want to make sure that they see me and they don't see what they want me to be as a Black person. In the West, you know,
1: that's what I mean by the fascination of Black men. Either we are fetishized or yes. we, are, we are feared, both at the same time. It's very rare for me to feel like I'm treated like an individual. I'm not trying to generalize. It's just my experience. I always feel like I have to meet some of the LCs expectations of either, you know, hyper-masculinity or, yeah, it's always about what they see or what they want to see.
0: No, that's my perception. And I believe some of my experiences is someone's putting their imprint of who they expect or want me to be it's definitely like you said around hyper masculinity i hadn't had that happen in europe vocally at least but i remember years ago when online dating became popular here in the states and i did go on uh, a date thinking it was completely like this person's interested in me eric the person and one of the first questions he asked me was like how was it growing up in the hood and i was like oh, I don't remember mentioning that I'd lived that life. (laughs) And that was kind of my first awareness, like, oh, this person doesn't see me or doesn't want to see me or is not able to, maybe.
1: Mm. The other thing is, you know, it's not just Black men. I mean, I'm talking about that because obviously I happen to be a Black man. But I'm full of the same expectations, you know, especially now that so much of our lives is online. All we see is either you know just an image or uh, you see a video and you can barely hear the voice you know so from that you build an image really based on what you've seen what you expect or whatever
0: so make sure i'm looking at my side of the street first and foremost
1: i think so yeah when are you um, thinking of coming back to europe
0: my goal is to return in the spring I'm still continuing to look for full-time employment in Europe, specifically Sweden. The plan was to give myself two years with this. And what has happened is that I'm not ready to get off this ride because it feels like the path that I'm uh, meant to go down. I'm able to do things financially where I can continue this journey for a little while longer and just continue within to grow my faith and my belief that this is possible.
1: So, and I guess I'll see you uh, in spring or summer.
0: Yes, yes. You know, I was there for two years and now that I'm back here and I can't wait to get back, I feel like a few more shackles have been removed from my emotional, mental part of myself where I know like, if I want to go, if I can do it, just do it. So I'll definitely be traveling more when I get back there. Yeah. And
1: there are so many amazing places to see.
0: Have you been to Bath? I have. I was connected to a couple of people who are friends of mine who live there. I like it there. Yeah, it's really cute. At first I saw one part of it. And then when I saw other parts of town, I was like, oh, okay. It's more diverse than I realized. You must have seen that, but the English countryside is beautiful.
1: Oh my God. Gorgeous. Gorgeous.
0: Where I was, I was between Winchester and Southampton most of the time.
1: Yeah, that's gorgeous. Yeah really nice most places on earth you know unless they've been ravaged by war or whatever you know the earth is a pretty place
0: and again with the continent of africa the different countries there people that i've interviewed so far from there finding out that because it's this huge continent it's much more diverse as far as the landscape than we think it is because people only think of safari and The desert, it's like, no, it's like anywhere else. The same as my home state of Arizona, I think people think of the desert and the sun. But if you go north, there's snow and trees. So, Mm.
1: What's your plan then for the rest of your stay in America?
0: Probably not next week, but the week after I'm going to rent a car and drive to Phoenix because I always like that drive uh, going across the desert. Yeah, do as much traveling as I can while I'm here locally, uh, work Meeting as many people as I can connected to this particular platform. Um, on social media, you can follow the podcast Our Black Gay Diaspora. On Instagram, it's Our Black Gay Diaspora. On Twitter, it's BLK Gay Diaspora. And I believe on Facebook, you can just look up Our Black Gay Diaspora podcast. My own personal Instagram is Curious Introvert Expat. That's where I post mainly stuff about the podcast, but every now and again, I'll post pictures of me out and about. One of the things I rediscovered a few years ago was writing, which was my original passion. So I do have some content out there on medium.com and a couple of other platforms. As of right now, I haven't written anything because I'm focused on living life. I want to gather some more experience before I feel called to write again, because most of my writing is connected to my perceptions of the world and my experiences as a black gay man
1: yeah is the best way to write i guess
0: yeah and that's been something i'm again learning from people like you like uh you photographing as a black gay photographer with no shame i think that's very powerful thank you that's a very important thing to say no because it's true yeah good job you can see me blush <laughs> <laughs> And again, thank you for agreeing to do this dialogue with me.
1: I really enjoyed it, actually. But I won't start my own podcast
0: just yet. (laughs) (laughs) So we'll meet for
1: part two later.
0: Yes, most definitely.
1: So thank you so much.
0: Thank you for spending time with us. If you enjoyed this episode, please rate, comment, and subscribe share with your friends too you can also follow us on instagram at our black gay diaspora and on twitter at blk gay diaspora until next time